HealthWise. Hello everyone, this is Thomas Corrier. And this is Sarah Corrier. And we'd like to welcome you to episode 36 of the HealthWise Report, the audio edition. Well, I guess we'll start off by letting everybody know we have a new friend. Mm-hmm. A friend named Bruce. Uh, what was his full name, Sarah? His name is Bruce Vetri. Vetri, yes, and he's a practicing attorney. In <laughs> uh, what city was it? He's in Bayport, New York. And um, we can never have enough attorney friends. Sometimes it seems like we're surrounded by them. Yeah, because we, we're always uh, getting contacted by attorneys. If you didn't know better, you'd think a lot of people didn't like what we had to say. Well, this case, if you know what I'm saying, is kind of special in that, you know, most of the attorneys that we hear from are... Intelligent. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> Most of the attorneys that we hear from are from like the the mainstream side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a a mainstream deodorant producer that puts aluminum in their products, for like, instance. Yeah, like darn it, stop exposing us for our aluminum-free deodorant, which is made primarily of aluminum. We don't like it when people write about that. Yeah. Especially since we've got a cushy deal with Whole Foods Market and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what was to, it? to be natural and safe. To be fair, it's it may not be the main ingredient, but it is the main active ingredient that actually does the job. Yeah. And saying, this doesn't contain aluminum chlorohydrate implies that it's aluminum-free. People are trying to avoid it. Yeah. Anyway, we've got articles about that, right? We do. But okay. this case is a little bit different because uh, Bruce is representing someone who's supposed to be on our side. Who's supposed to be. When we first started doing this work, we thought that we were going to spend all of our time going against the establishment. And, and we do. We still go against the establishment. But we don't spend all of our time. We found that we spend more of our time going against the alternative medicine that's fraudulent. Which, by the way, is the overwhelming majority. I mean, most of you people are our choir you know what it's like in the mainstream establishment. We don't have to tell you about it. You know the carnage. Our side is just as bad. That's the depressing reality. That is the depressing reality. And it takes some time to come to that realization. And the people pushing them are no better than these doctors. Actually, they're worse than the doctors. 
because the doctors, the regular allopathic doctors, actually believe in what they're doing. They don't think they're lying. Yeah. They think they're helping people. These other people are being scam artists, like, intentionally, just... They know. Yeah. They they know they're just making it up Mm -hmm. for, for the money. Yeah. So, in that regard, I actually have more respect for doctors. Yeah, brainwashed as they may be. I, I don't know about oncologists. I mean, I don't know if I could go that far. It's a special branch. The very special evil branch. Or the hospice people, they're a special evil branch. And but, you know, when we're talking about general practitioners, you know, a, a general practitioner, doctor, you know, who you go in because you've got the flu versus, you know, mm-hmm. one of these alternative frauds, you got to side with the doctor as far as just overall well-meaning. Yeah. Anyway, our new attorney friend, Bruce Vetri, was hired by Lloyd Jenkins, who's running the Budwig Center. What's interesting about the Budwig Center, and we, we have a big article about this that really ticked Lloyd off, is that it's in no way affiliated with Joanna Budwig. Yeah, you think the Budwig Center, you think it's literally the center of Budwig. Yeah, well, and they have her pictures splattered all over the place. They have their so-called photographic evidence spotted all over the place showing that Joanna was, was all behind what they're doing. Uh, it is the Budwick system at the Budwick Center. But in fact, what they're doing is they're using her name. She's dead. She can't defend herself anymore. She can't defend her reputation or name. Tell people it's, they have nothing to do with her, so they get away with it. Exactly. It's so, like these books that are being written by Joanna Budwick now that are going, coming out. Of course, Budwig didn't write those books. She's been dead since, like, 2003. 2003, yeah. And the, the sad thing is that when a person first stumbles across the Budwig protocol, the real protocol, however they stumble across it, they'll search through the internet, and they'll come across what looks like the official source. It's the Budwig Center. Oh, of course, right? Exactly. And so you think uh, you found where, where, ground where, zero. Where Joanna reached up with her cold, dead hand and blessed it from beyond the grave. Yeah, you would think so. Not only are they not following what Joanna preached, they're doing a lot of stuff that's just ridiculous and not helping patients. I don't think they're helping patients. I'm pretty sure from their methodologies, there's no way they could be helping Mm -hmm. patients. We're talking about cancer patients. We're not talking about people with sprained ankles here. If you're going to do an alternative fraud, at least pick something that's a little less harmful people with migraines, maybe you can pretend like you're energy healing them. Pick a fraud like that that doesn't, like, kill people. Well, when we write about frauds, we focus on the big ones. The worst of the worst. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to focus on some website that offers, you know, oregano for the migraine, because it, it just doesn't really matter in the big picture. It really it doesn't hurt them that much. Eventually, the patients will catch on, find another alternative that actually is valid and works, but the big scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. But when you're talking, you know, something like cancer. cancer. Cancer, yeah. It really matters. It really does. And that's why we went after them. Yeah. We wanted to publish it and let everyone know. So, you know, we published this article, I think, three years ago or so, on the topic of the Budwig Center. No, no. That was the book, Sarah. It's been on the site, I think, longer than that. If you go back and look at the, the original publication mm-hmm. date at our site, mm-hmm. I think you'll find it's... It's more than three years. All right, fair enough. We'll publish the expose for people. Probably five. Probably about five, I would guess. Okay. Well, we publish the expose for people who might be running across him and the, the so-called Budwig Center. Yeah. 
And Dr. Jenkins's. That is the doctor. Yeah. And we got contacted by his attorney, Bruce Vetri, mm-hmm. like we stated. Yeah. Well, our original contact, like five years ago, were from patients. People who called us and who were getting sicker and wanting to know what, what was wrong because we put out the cancer report documentary and they figured out we were experts on cancer therapy, alternative cancer therapies, and the Bugwit protocol. And people wanted to know why it wasn't working. I do recall that. And and we're like, well, if you do it properly, it should. It should help. You should see an improvement. How are you practicing it? Where are you getting your information? And every one of these calls led back to the same place. Yeah. And I and bet you people out there can guess what place it was. And then over time, that information started spreading to other sites. So that there's mm-hmm. bad information. All this stuff about how you need to only eat low-fat products. Yeah. And various other variations that Joanna would have never in her... Yeah, using fish oil and other things like that. Fish that oil, dis- yeah. When she specifically told people, never use fish oil. And for those of you who don't know the significance of Dr. Joanna Budwig, she's the one who came up with the whole omega-3 thing. She discovered the benefits of omega-3. So when you're in your supermarket and you see all these items that say, with omega-3 or with flax or with this or that or the other thing that gives omega-3, it all comes from Dr. Budwig. Yeah. She was pivotal, even though she was maligned in her life because she was suppressed and censored. She saved, I don't know, countless lives. It was nominated multiple, multiple times for the Nobel Prize in Medicine. She got the whole flax oil thing started. That even doctors are telling people to do now that to take flax or omega three, at least omegas, yeah, or at least a, some type of omega oil. It all goes back to Joanna. So I just want everyone to know the significance of her and how her name is being tainted. We got a call. We were on a call with Bruce Vetri, the attorney, and what he referred to us as, which was supposed to be derogatory, was unbelievable. He called us a watchdog. Yeah, that was like the worst thing he'd come up with. It's like, you people, you're a watchdog organization. And we were kind of stunned. We, there's this like long silence, like, uh, almost like a, should we say thank you? Exactly. It's like, you know. <laughs> That's like one of the most noble thing. For someone who practices journalism or who is an author like us, being referred to as a watchdog, it's like the best compliment you can give. Exactly. It's so, true flattery. Yeah, uh, precisely. So we're just kind of stunned thinking... That, that could be horrible for him, like calling us whistleblowers. That, that is, that's that's bad. Yeah, it's like I, I can't even empathize with that kind of logic. That kind of, quote, ethics, unquote, where yeah. you consider the enemy to be the whistleblowers, the watchdogs, and the journalists who are reporting to the people how they're being lied to or abused by this group or that group. Yeah. And I'm sure that there are lawyers everywhere who hold on to this, I don't know if you can call it a philosophy. <laughs> it's a very special, quote, code of ethics, unquote, Sarah, if, if you will. Yeah. Now, we were reading up about that not long ago. It was really interesting what they consider to be ethics. Yeah. It was almost like the opposite of ethics. It was. It was. It was actually kind of troubling and distressing, and, wondering just and, how And these things were codified are. by the actual bar associations. This wasn't like Lawyer Joe out here working out of the trailer. Mm-hmm. This this was the bar association ethic codes. That, we don't even have time to go into it. 
Yeah. Um, it, you get a bunch of lawyers together and get them to discuss ethics. What, it's what ethics what are, yeah. <laughs> and we were actually invited to Spain, where the Ludwig Center is. To, to to see it ourselves. Yes. By Lloyd. Yes. Apparently, Lloyd thinks that if we were to go and visit his clinic in Spain, we'd somehow... Uh, Are you okay away? with it? Yeah. That suddenly we'd hug... Can you see me and Lloyd hugging? We'd hug, and suddenly I'd be like, it doesn't matter anymore, Lloyd. Please lie to our people. We're okay with that. Uh-huh. I, I know what it is. It was a type of entrapment. He wants to get us over there mm-hmm. to where they have the most ridiculous draconian defamation laws in Spain, where it's actually a criminal offense. And while we're there in Spain to charge us yeah. with defamation, so we would be trapped and put in jail over there for exposing him. Well, as, as many threats and so forth and manipulation games that we've had so far, I'd be afraid of going to a country where I wouldn't be armed to confront somebody like that. Yeah, I've got to it's be not honest. like you can pick up a gun at the airport when you when you arrive. Exactly. I'm pretty sure that the Spaniards, well, I, I don't know what their right-to-arms laws state, but uh, I imagine... It's not exactly like ours. We'd be quickly disarmed as exactly. visitors. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, even if this clinic were successfully treating people and... For the record, I really don't believe that it is. I believe well, there's it's no harmful. way. But even if it were, it's not using the Budweig Protocol. It's it's a total lie. Exactly. And and he goes to great efforts to promote that lie, to push it everywhere he goes, that this is the Budwig Protocol at, quote, the Budwig Center, unquote. Exactly. It's It's like lie after lie after lie, layer after layer after layer. What got my goat was he put this picture up showing that he trained with Joanna Budwick. Mm-hmm. We knew it was fake. It wasn't long after our article went up that this picture went up, proving that he trained with Budwick with this note. Supposedly, yeah. Joanna had written to him in English, stating that they had trained together. Be aware that Joanna didn't actually write English. She had yeah, translators. Yeah. Jo- Joanna books. could not write in English. Yes, she was German. She could speak English somewhat, but she couldn't write it. So all of her books are translated by her assistant, Lothar. Yes. But somehow, by some miracle on that one day, she knew English and wrote this note saying that they had trained together and that she was one of her disciples. That he, Lloyd, was, he was one of her disciples. Doctor, let me emphasize the doctor part, Dr. Lloyd Jenkins was one of her students. In a picture, and there was a picture of them together, which we analyzed and noticed that it had been edited. That Joanna and Lloyd had been edited into the photo. Yeah. And so we actually pointed it out to him. And here's what's incredible. In the legal documents that are going back and forth between us, mm-hmm. he admitted it. Yeah, no he, kidding. He without actually shame. came out and admitted. Without he, shame. He's like, well, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I edited that. That was his big piece of evidence to prove us wrong. Yeah. And he came out and admitted it. And then he was like, well, I had to do it because I didn't have any other picture with me and Joanna in it. Which, which makes it okay. Which made it okay. <laughs> um, and then we, we, of course, asked Lothar about it. And Lothar said, yeah, he visited the clinic for one day. And during that visit... Uh, Joanna attacked his assistant, literally, physically attacked 
his assistant. Yes. And then they left after that, which tells me that he kind of wore out his welcome quickly, which, which also means he wasn't one of her students. Yeah, because you can't really be a student and be there for one day. And be thrown out. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't know he's thrown out. We, we know he was there for one day. He wasn't there after that, after the physical attack. Um, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to put, put it together. Yeah. Okay. So, no, we can't prove he was kicked out, but, you know, you, you decide. But, you know, we've had other cases, uh, the Jim Humble case uh, springs to mind. Where we've well, accused they're people, still harassing us. Where we've accused people of doctoring photos. And people can look and they can see, you know, you the, see the yeah. obvious indications. The, the force glow around them. But we've never actually had someone come forward and say, well, yeah, I did it, and it doesn't really matter because and it, it was so was shameless. There. Yeah, he had no shame about it. It's like, yeah, did, of course I did it. And then he moved on to, like, lecturing us about morality and stuff. Le- lecturing us. Yeah, that's like lawyer ethics. About, well, it's like lawyer ethics, about morality and how alternative medicine works and etc. I guess we're just missing something. Anyway, so the lawyer called today, and we spent something like 30 minutes on the phone with him. And uh, in this phone call... Thomas mentioned in response to our invitation to Spain that we didn't really want to go to see somebody who was tampering with and doctoring evidence. We didn't really see that. There wasn't much point talking to someone who didn't care about the truth. Exactly. How is that going to be a productive use of our time? Uh Uh-huh. And then we got a lecture from the lawyer about the difference between a lie and a white lie. Yeah. You see, when, when Dr. Jenkins lies, you know, the doctor of the Budwig Center, that's a white lie. That makes it okay. Yeah. And and by the way, let's just consider, this is a defamation. A defamation case. A, a defamation, yeah. by definition, is a, truth a false case. statement. Yeah, it's a truth case. You, you can't, well, at least in this country, the United States, you can't defame, meaning slander or liable someone, if you're telling the truth. The truth is an absolute defense. That is part of our freedom of speech, freedom of the press. That if we print it and it's true, nobody can do anything about it. No one can stop the truth. That, and it, you know, that's that's the very basis of a good civilization. And so we're here, you know, kind of defending a defamation case. It hasn't really started yet, but we're defending the threats of defamation. Uh-huh. And being told that there are lies and white lies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You could, just couldn't make it up. It is, it is incredible. From a lawyer. Yes. A lawyer for a defamation case saying, well, it's all right for Lloyd to lie some. I mean, he's, as long as they're white lies. I mean, and the more that I reflect upon this call, the more unbelievable it was. And, and the whole thing, it's, it's a fraud case about him. A defamation is calling him a fraud. While the lawyer's telling us, well, it's okay if he lies to people, because they're white lies. <laughs> yeah. And the lawyer got angrier as the call went on, at one point saying, the truth is all that matters? Yeah. No, he said, is the truth all that matters to you? That was it, yeah. And we're like, we're kind of like, we're reporters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what matters. The way that he said it, I felt like I should almost be apologetic for that. <laughs> I'm so sorry for being truthful. Yeah. What's incredible is that how much angrier he got as the call progressed. Yeah. Definitely. And I'll just go ahead and mention before I forget that he ended the call by hanging up on us, mm-hmm. which is actually a first for lawyers. I've never had a lawyer hang up on me. 
there's there's also the statute of limitations thing that really ticked him off. We told him that the time is out. The statute of limitations has ran out, meaning we can't be touched anymore. Mm-hmm. The article is... Written in stone. Written in stone. It's 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 been up too long for them to sue us over. Yeah. And, you know, that that's a defense that we Americans have in, in all the states because otherwise we would be under constant threat, terrorism, in fact, over everything we've ever written in our entire lives. Yeah, it's Every, what allows the press to do what it does. It wouldn't be able to function without yeah, these it's provisions. Like if you print something that somebody's going to sue you over, they have a certain amount of time to sue you in. That, mm-hmm. that time frame, or, or at least attempt to. Yes. As members of the press, you don't have to keep records forever either. Like, we've written our article, and if we just want to trash the archives, make some more room, move on, we can do that. We don't have to keep records about what our sources are, where we got our information anymore, because the statute of limitations has passed. Otherwise, we'd have to keep all of our records forever and be ready for a battle forever for every article we've written. Exactly. And... You know, in news pieces, it makes a big difference because news changes. One person mm-hmm. is charged one day, they're released the next day. And, mm-hmm. you know, keeping that information, you know, for 10 years, you know, isn't exactly practical. Mm-hmm. So, hence another reason why such limitations exist. Yeah. But Bruce, the, the lawyer that is, didn't want to argue about the legalities. Yeah, have, have you ever been talking to a lawyer who said, you know, let's just not muddle and mess with those legalities? Let's talk about something else in your case. And, you know, that was another, huh, moment. Yeah. He's calling to threaten us legally, but let's not get bogged down in these legal issues. Yeah, the lawyer. What really angered him was when you asserted that we have the right to be inflammatory. Yeah, he brought up the inflammatory thing, that every day you're being inflammatory. Every day that article is up, you're being more inflammatory, day after day. And you can't do that. And we're like, well, yeah. Yeah, we can inflame anyone we want. Again, that's freedom of speech, freedom of press. We don't have to be nice. We don't have to be friendly. We don't have to coddle anyone for any reason. People don't have the right to not be offended. That yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah, no, that is ridiculous. Yeah, as long as we're being honest. It, it, actually, it is like that in some countries. Like in England, you, you said that Somebody can sue for pretty much anything any, if you're offended by what they've read. Yeah, and the burden of truth is in the wrong side. It's, it's, on, it's all messed it's up. It's all broken. It's, yeah. It's why there was that big war way back, to set things right. Yeah, you have to bring that up too often. <laughs> all I can say is uh, both Lloyd and his lawyer are something else, let's just say. They're quite a pair. They are quite the pair. I'm not going to come out and call the lawyer stupid, okay? I'm not going to go that far. But to take a case like this is so dumb. It really is. And I imagine Lloyd had to have gone through two, three dozen other attorneys all over the United States to find one who would be willing to take us to federal court. Well, I mean, he's going after the press, i.e. us were the press, at a case where you know he's running a clinic, that would not legally be allowed to be operated in this country. No, the, the very existence of that clinic is in violation of our laws. If it was here, he would already be in prison. Exactly. There's no way. So he's going to Spain for immunity from our laws, whilst trying to what? use our laws to stifle freedom of the press and all criticism from what, abroad. What lawyer would want to take that? And I'm going to tell you, this is something we've talked about a lot. It's pretty much a known fact 
in legal circles out there that you have to be a moron to fight the press. They'll go against the press on defamation for freedom of speech, freedom of the press. In a court, you're stupid because the press are better at fact-finding than the attorneys are. The press are better at reaching and communicating with people than attorneys are. An attorney that goes against the press in a court is asking to be made a fool of, and generally, that is the way it goes down. For those of you listening, just, just imagine this for a moment. Imagine there's a defamation case where you have a, what did you call this, a watchdog organization that's in court for a defamation case because somebody who's running a, a bogus cancer clinic or whatever doesn't want to be exposed. You're in the court listening. You've got on one hand the aggressive attorney from the other side who's attacking. On the other side, you see the humble watchdog reporter. Which way are you going to vote? Yeah, that's seriously. just the way it is. Seriously, which way are you going to vote? I mean, seriously, do reporters ever lose? They're going to be really wrong to lose. I mean, yeah, they have to be doing something really out there. Mm-hmm. Well, it happens, but it's rare. You know, this case does become a real case, which it very well may. Mm-hmm. We'll, of course, publish it for everybody. Well, there'll, there'll be lots of goodies. Yeah. I mean, there's, there'll be a lot of stuff that comes out and exposed. Stuff that we'll be immune to, with, too, because we'll be releasing court documents. Exactly. And court documents are public documents, and they can't be defamatory. Yes. They're not slander or liable. They're just public records. Yes, and we'll probably be doing more shows at least to discuss and rant about this whole topic and the ridiculousness of it all. So we should have more shows coming up one way or another. Please check us out and read our reports at the HealthWise Report website. You can find us on the internet at healthwise.org. Take special note that WISE is spelt W-Y-Z-E. We spell it W-Y-Z-E to emphasize wisdom. We are a not-for-profit organization, although we are not registered with any governmental agency. Nevertheless, we are a not-for-profit organization, so we always need donors to help us to continue our work, whether it be the equipment for these radio shows, our website and network infrastructure, various fees for our movie productions, and of course, the occasional video game to help us maintain our sanity through it all. You can also support us by visiting our online store, That can also be found at healthwise.org. And again, WISE is spelt W-Y-Z-E. We have to be careful about what claims we make about our products, including claims that can be verified, because we know of at least one governmental agency that would love to shut us down. We can tell you that our colloidal copper lotion has qualities that cannot be found in any other lotion sold. So if you have joint or skin problems of any kind, we recommend that you check out our lotion. You can also find our book, Defy Your Doctor and Be Healed, which contains our best work, condensed and re-edited into a nearly 600-page encyclopedia. It is the do-it-yourself guide to health, and it makes a fantastic gift. We also sell the HealthWise Antiperspirant, which is truly aluminum and petroleum-free. We would not use anything else ourselves, because the competing products are atrocious, including the supposedly natural products. Thanks for listening to this. We'll get back to the show now. What's next on the agenda, Miss Sarah? Are you going to read that letter? I am going to read that letter. 
we received a letter a few months ago that we feel the need to respond to publicly because it, well, it affects us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and start by reading that letter. Yeah, and I meant to write this person back, but I just haven't had a chance. Maybe we'll write him back and tell him to listen into the show. Yeah. All right. Okay, I'm going to begin reading the letter now. Mr. Corio, I recently read Sarah Corio's article about almonds titled Forbidden Fruits, Whatever Medical Foods the FDA Forbids. It was posted on Lou Rockwell's site today. I read this sort of news all of the time. I'm well versed in the revisionist and alternative histories. I've studied the vaccine debate, fluoride, chemtrails, raw milk, GMO, the real Lincoln, I highly recommend DiLorenzo's book on him, NDAA, CPS, TSA, and many other issues. I know about Agenda 21 and the fight to grab guns. I understand that our own Department of Homeland Security figures Christians and veterans like me are domestic terrorists. But this article so infuriated me, I had to write to you about it. I've become familiar with various alternative cancer treatments. A family member cured herself of breast cancer simply by consuming 12 glasses of carrot juice a day. I've seen a couple of documentaries about the Gerson method. I have Western Price's book, as well as multiple books, on the dangers of sugar and sugar substitutes. When I read that bitter almonds had been banned, I wanted to scream. I don't have cancer. God willing, I won't contract it. But to know just how complicit the government agencies are in destroying our health makes me want to leave the country right now. I want you to know that your message resonated with me today. I am working hard to get myself into position to really contribute and help. I will bookmark your site and will check back often. My frustration is that it feels as if the battle has already been lost. It seems only people like me make it to a site like yours. But those who need the information are so woefully ignorant and uninformed. They can't even name the three branches of our government. Yet they'll vote to take away my gun rights, or will vote for mandatory vaccinations. What can be done about those people? I've written my elected representatives to no avail. I've stopped buying things I disagree with long ago, but I can't hardly get anyone to follow suit. They'll still shop at Walmart or buy NFL tickets. I've been reading Lou Rockwell and similar sites for years now. How is education the answer? Is it making a difference? Regardless, I'm going to press on with the things God has laid before me to do. I pray that your sight continues to flourish. Please keep up the good work. Kind regards. As we'll call him Chris. That's fine. We found that letter to be a bit depressing. A guy who's lamenting about the sorry state of things. I think in particular he's disturbed at what's happening to America. We Americans think of America as the last hope. Yeah. The one place where you'll get the most freedom, and and that's going away. This country is being destroyed. It's happening to different degrees in other countries, too. The type of corruption that he talks about. At one point in the letter, he asked, Is education really enough? And it is. You see, the problem we have is a problem of apathy and of ignorance. And that's a terrible combination. We know there's a lot of evil out there, a lot of evil groups, both in our government and in the private sector. But we know also that they have a weakness, a weakness that even if they know about, they can't change. And that is 
they're afraid of light. People who are truly evil, the ones who are destroying us, they're like cockroaches. If you shine a flashlight on them, they will run. In this country, there's not a lot of protesting that goes on anymore. It's just sort of died out. People figure that it doesn't work or they feel they get bullied by the police and etc. Cetera, et cetera. They just don't bother. They figure, well, the people at the top, they're too shameless to care. But I'm going to tell you something. Protesting works. Because protesting shines a light on the guilty. And no matter how shameless they are in their private lives, in, you know, in the darkness, if you take it into public view, they can be shamed. Let me tell you a little secret that somebody told me once. Everybody thinks he's doing the right thing. Everybody, even your worst sociopath out there, thinks he's doing the right thing because people have an inherent need to believe that they're doing what's right. Everyone has that built-in need. It's hardwired into the human psyche. So people who are doing the wrong thing, they come up with all kinds of rationalizations and justifications, convoluted excuses to justify why they're doing what they're doing, what makes it right. But if you can stop that, if you can pull the plug on that, show them that they're doing wrong, then everything changes. Because they can't live with it. Because there's a part of all of us that's good. A part of us that wants to be good and noble. And whether we admit it or not, that wants to serve and seek out God. At the deepest level. Part of the problem now is one of apathy. Of everybody, everywhere, saying, what difference can I make? But it just takes a few of us to act as leaders. Yeah, it doesn't take many of us to act as leaders, to make a huge difference. To inspire everyone else. That's so true. It's kind of like us. We exist because some of you out there are really good. Now, I'm going to call it like it is. 99.9% of the people out there that know of us, that listen to us, don't help us in any way. They really don't. And some of those people, and I'm just going to call it like it is, some of those people do that in every area of their lives and ought to be called parasites because they are. But not everyone is. It doesn't take many to make a big difference. And, And I think, in turn, because of that, we're making a difference. We're still around. We've still got people like Dr. Jenkins, who we're... Still fighting. Fighting and exposing. Yeah. And there's no telling how many lives that has saved. Yeah. And the the same effect of, you know, just a a few leaders. Mm -hmm. It can happen in different areas. Let me tell you what it takes to be a leader. This is all you have to do. Pound your fist on a desk and say, damn it, this is wrong. That's it. Because most likely, everyone around you already knows that it's wrong. But they're not willing to say it. They're not willing to admit it. They're afraid of standing up. And everyone's afraid of being the first. They are. There's this herd mentality. Exactly. That's always the most terrifying thing, to stand up in the crowd and and be the one who stands out. And, And it's that herd mentality that is the problem. 
Now, I know some of you are out there listening. I'm sure we're reaching you. You know we're right. You can feel it. Just act on it. It's not too late. And education is the answer. Because if you can show people what's wrong, what they're doing is wrong, they'll change. And if they don't, then let the public know it. Expose it. And then he'll change. That's why we do what we do. You know, Start taking action in your own life. You don't have to do what we do and reach out on the Internet. Start with your own family and friends. Start with your church. Yeah, I see small people everywhere who are willing to stand up for what's right, or perhaps more importantly at times to speak out about what's wrong. Yeah. They're really going to make the difference. Like, like take this example. Let's just say somebody at a church, and you're having one of your meetings. Come out and say, why is the preacher not saying anything against these murderous wars that are going down? Yeah, these wars of aggression. These wars of aggression against countries who have done us no wrong, and at the same time, on the other breath, standing up in front of everyone else, praying for, like, the stockholders whenever the stock market falls. By the way, I was actually in a church when that happened, when the preacher said, pray for the stockholders. Pray that the rich get richer. I've got that love of money. Made you wonder what stocks he had Mm -hmm. and what love of money he had. Is there anything Christian about it? Or is it instead just a mockery, a flat-out mockery of what the church is supposed to be? Because if the church was doing its job, we wouldn't have any of these problems. This guy wouldn't need to write me this letter. Modern Christians, by and large, aren't Christians at all. They're cowards. Yeah. And you can't really be a Christian and a coward at the same time. Because if, if you're that afraid of man, you, you can't serve God. The church ought to be the leading force. It ought to be stating, you know, both at the local level and at the national level, you know, these small things in the community that, that are wrong, that mm-hmm. people are doing wrong, these elected officials, if they did something that's immoral, that's unchristian, they ought to be in that yeah. pulpit and saying this. Like, why, why doesn't he point out that cop in his congregation, the one who committed a crime, was lit off of it, and keeps his job because he's a cop? And why doesn't he turn and point to the police chief and say, why did you do this? Why are you lying to us? Exactly, and instead we have these preachers who... Or the politicians. Yeah, uh-huh. And instead we have these preachers who'll, you know, go in, and he's there to make everyone feel better one day a week. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a pep rally. Or, or the politician, like, why did you lie to us? You promised us this, that, and the other thing, and instead you're doing just the opposite. You're trying to destroy this community or this country. How dare you show up in a house of God? Back in the day, they did that. Yeah. And, and because of it, there was a certain social responsibility. People were afraid that the preacher would point them out. Well, it's ironic that all these politicians, uh, you know, especially our, our major-level politicians like our senators, go to church. Well, every one of them goes to church. And, yeah. And that their pastors just sit there and, and act like there's nothing wrong. Yeah, like, if I were the pastor, I'd be like, why did you vote for this war? Why? Essentially shining the light on those people in front of the congregation. If, they... if you're going to send our people to die, mm-hmm. and you don't have any proof or any justification for it whatsoever, I'd be like, if I were the preacher, I would be like, get out of here and stop defiling this place with your presence. Yeah. Because it's an insult to us, 
And it's got to be an insult to God that you're even here in his sanctuary. Part of the cowardly mentality, this belief that it doesn't matter what a person does specifically, that, well, the person can go into church on a Sunday and everything's fine, he's clean, regardless of what he does the other six days a week, that what you do, <laughs> what you do yeah. does, don't matter. It's what is sometimes called as a Sunday Christian. Yes, and that's become, dare I say, it, the norm. Yeah, because of the uh, this bogus and sacrilegious belief that faith alone will get you saved. Exactly. You don't have to be responsible for your actions. Mm-hmm. And that you won't be... Well, that's the whole thing about the Christ being the judge and, and there being a judgment. That's the whole point. You are responsible for your actions. Yeah, it's not just, do you believe that God exists? Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the Bible says every action will be will be recorded. Mm-hmm. I think everybody knows that Martin Luther was the big voice behind the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, well, I was raised as a Protestant, uh-huh. and generally led to believe that he was something of a hero. The yeah. guy with guts who had the courage to stand up against the hypocrisy and corruption of the Catholic Church. And therefore, all of these wonderful Protestant denominations sprung to life from him. Yes. Now I'm learning he's really not such a hero anymore. Yeah, um, I mean, before I go any further, the Catholic Church has done a lot of evil. I mean, throughout history, they, they've done a lot of evil things, and they were doing a lot that wasn't, shall we say, scripturally sound mm-hmm. um, at the time of Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. And it was a good thing that he pointed that out. But at the same time, he espoused this philosophy that threw away personal responsibility. As a Protestant, what I was taught, Sarah, was that the things the Catholic Church did that were hypocritical or weren't scripturally sound, that it made up just by fiat or by business decision, Martin Luther pointed out, these were not scripturally sound practices. It had nothing to do with being a Christian. That was the main crux of what he did. He didn't really do anything else other than point these things out, educate, and then the Protestants spring to life. But he actually did much more than that. And this is where the insidious dark side comes in. I'm going to read a quote from Martin Luther when he was writing to a fellow reformer who was called Philip Melanchthon. Here's the quote. Be a sinner and let your sins be strong, but let your trust in Christ be stronger and rejoiced in Christ, who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. We will commit sins while we are here, for this life is not a place where justice resides. We, however, says Peter, are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where justice will reign. It suffices that through God's glory we have recognized the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. No sin can separate us from him, even if we were to kill or commit adultery thousands of times each day. So, so killing and committing adultery thousands of times a day is okay, and so we should sin and let our sins be strong. This was written by Martin Luther. Yes. Well, I'll just let that stand on its own. I mean, that right there is the problem, and it's in part... If you have faith, you can do whatever you want. Yes. That's where it all began, with Martin Luther. It wasn't actually spelled out in the Bible. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, there was one that they used, a quote from the Bible. Well, there was one written by Paul that wasn't... Of course, Paul, the unapostle Paul. Yeah, but it was nowhere near as, as 
So we say direct as, be a sinner and let your str- your sins be strong. Mm-hmm. But he did try to use it, and he did try to manipulate that quote, actually trying to edit it, didn't Martin Luther? Yes, he did. Paul, in Romans 3.28, for those who are following, said, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Martin Luther didn't think that was strong enough. It didn't support his particular view strongly. Well, didn't, didn't Christ say he didn't come to strike down the law but to reaffirm it? But to redeem it. Um, okay, more or less. Yeah. Okay, we don't have to have an exact quote. But, of course, in James, it was actually spelled out that your works do matter. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a direct contradiction to mm-hmm. the work of Paul. But in any case, Martin Luther tried to add the word alone to this Romans quote. He tried to insert words into the Bible. To, to change the meaning. To twist it to his own opinion. His own agenda. Yeah, his agenda, exactly. Well, I could see why the Protestant Reformation was so popular, why it took off so well. When you tell people, hey, don't listen to them, it's okay. Do what you want. Have fun. That's an easy thing to market, isn't it? It is, and I think it's well, I think it is why Christians are so, well, they're not real Christians, but people who profess to be Christian are so <laughs> hypocritical now. Yeah. They don't even know what it means to be a Christian. The, their very churches lie to them about it. Yeah. That wasn't all that Martin Luther did. In the 16th century, he moved seven books from the Old Testament into an appendix to bring the Old Testament in line with the Jewish Bible. The Jews had removed them because they weren't written in Hebrew, right? Exactly. And that's because, frankly, the Jews are racist. It wasn't written in Hebrew that made it inferior writings. Yes. I'm sorry. I just have to say, when I hear about the Jews talk about anti-Semitism, I just... Cringe? It's so cringe. It's so ridiculous because they're like the most racist people on earth. Yeah. Anyway, the Jews had stripped these books for not being in Hebrew. Yeah. Which gave... Luther licensed to do the same thing, he thought. He thought, yeah. At about 100 AD, at the Council of Jamnia, the Jews rejected these seven books that they believed weren't written in Hebrew. Because in mm-hmm. 1947, these books had been found and they were written in Hebrew, so now people are kind of wondering. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's something else. And then Martin Luther stuck them into an appendix so that they wouldn't be widely read. Yeah. It's important to consider that the Old Testament, which is actually what we're talking about here, Mm -hmm. is different now. It's missing these seven books that were in the Bible at the time of the original apostles. Yeah, that was their Bible, the Old Testament Bible. Uh Uh-huh. So, for instance, there could be things they would have said had these books been there. These, These books were supposed to be the very foundation that they were building upon. And instead, these foundational books that included things like Ecclesiasticus, which wrote on the topics of, of health and how herbs are important. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's the alternative medicine chapter of the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> and these things, mm-hmm. uh, these things were stripped. Now, he yeah. also put the letter of James, the letter to the Hebrews, the letters of John, and the book of Revelation, all from the New Testament, into an appendix. So he took New Testament books as well. Yes. Now, the New Testament, of course, as we know, those books are still in the New Testament, despite his um, attempts to... Remove them? Get rid of them. 
And why do you do that with the New Testament books? Same reason? The same reason. The book of, of James especially had this this one sentence that was in direct and obvious opposition to his beliefs. It was James saying that your works matter. It matters what you do. Yes. That if you hurt people, you will have to answer to God for it. Yes. Uh, as opposed to, it's okay to hurt people as long as you've got faith. Yes. It was this, what's known like, now as justification by yeah. works. To me, it's a no-brainer here. Who's right? Mm-hmm. When Martin Luther tells us, go sin, yeah. it's great, it's fine, commit adultery a thousand times a day if you like, or kill a thousand times a day if you like, that's fine, just have a little faith. To me, it's clear he's not serving the right side. Yeah. At at that point, it sounds like he's serving the other side. Yeah, although surely if you have real faith, you know, faith in the God of the Bible, mm-hmm. then you will act in a Christian way. You would think. I mean, you can't. But but there's this disconnect now. Yes. They're training people, brainwashing people, that the two aren't connected. Yes. That you can do what you want and have salvation by just having faith. On cue, when the right time comes, say, I believe, and boop, you have a clear conscience and a clear record. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to work out that way for people. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people, and almost all of the preachers out there now, are going to burn for it. Yeah. I mean, he tried to kick out Revelation for the same reason, because he is Revelation... Well, well, Revelation described the church as the whore of Babylon. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. But here's Revelation 14.12, quote, This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to, G- to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Keep his commands. Keep his commands. It's pretty clear. And that's what he didn't like. And at no point did the Christ say, Hey... Don't listen to that guy. Just, hey, just just praise me and have faith in me. Yeah. And, and and ignore what he wants. Just ignore everything that I said on the Sermon on the Mount about you know helping the hungry and. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to do any of that stuff. It, it's unbelievable. Just at the right moment, all you have to do is say, "I'm with you, bro," and you're clear. <laughs> we'll we'll let you in. Yeah. Now the version of the Bible in use at the time of the Christ was called the Septuagint. And that continues to be the Old Testament of the Catholics. Now, the extra books were present in the King James Bible for 274 years. It stopped in 1885. Meaning that, really, the King James Bible that you may have now... Isn't the real King James. Exactly. You think it is. And what's so sad is, we hear religious people communicate with us sometimes and tell us, well, I've got the best, most valid, accurate version, because it's the King James, and I'm sorry to say it's, it's not... Yeah. If you want to get a valid Bible, you're going to have to hook up with some Catholics yeah, and find a copy that hasn't been altered and censored. And people are going to think we're being so pro-Catholic here. It is like that. It's kind of polarizing. It's like you're with one side or the other. Mm-hmm. But Christians... Really, really we're, we're with neither. We're actually just with the original Bible. Yeah. I mean, you know, we said earlier on that, you know, the Catholics have been responsible for a lot, at least, you know, the, the Vatican, especially. But they've done a lot of good, Sarah. Don't don't slam them. I know it's politically correct now to just smack them back and forth and back and forth endlessly, but they've done so much good, too. Well, it's true that we wouldn't have a history as a civilization without there the would, There would Church. be no history. There would be no written record of what sure. happened to to mankind throughout most of history without the Catholic Church. And it may be... The reason why we still have civilization. Why we're not living like the apes. Well, yeah, how could a society progress without a history? 
or without something to establish order and a sense of right and wrong. To provide a moral compass. To provide that compass so that people are working together instead of against each other constantly. Yeah, they, they've done some bad stuff throughout history. Everybody knows there were ugly moments, but overall, the Catholic Church has been a force of good, I'd say. Overall, the history is tainted by some bad moments, and shall we say. But Here's the kicker, and I'm not sure how many of you have gotten it yet. I know some of you have. The entire Protestant Church, every last denomination that there is, is based on a lie. And it's a significant, major lie that is entirely and totally corrupting. Because you either serve God or you work against Him. He doesn't allow you to be neutral. It's not an option. This cowardly mentality now that's you know, being bred. But these churches are so cowardly that they're afraid to speak out against the gays when even to defend you know, Christians, Fellow who, Christians who are being persecuted by because the gays. they're Christian. Yeah, because they're Christian by the gay community. And it's despicable. At the time of the show, there's a big thing going on in Indiana about how the governor tried to get a law passed that said that you can discriminate against homosexuals. The homosexuals, of course, came out in force, and all these big tech companies were screaming all over the Internet about it. News agencies had a heyday. It's, it's, it's just gone on and on. It's easy to fall into that trap of, I want everyone to have opportunities. So it's, it's totally wrong. It must, therefore, be totally wrong to make laws that say it's okay to discriminate. Discrimination is not a bad thing. It goes against political correctness. We've been taught that discrimination is a bad thing, but it's not necessarily bad. Where this got started was another case, I think in another state, in which two photographers were asked to go photograph a wedding. They found out that it was a gay wedding. I'm not even sure it was a legal wedding, but it was a gay wedding nevertheless. And they said, no, we're Christian. Therefore, we are not going to participate in a gay wedding that's a mockery of our faith, of the institution of marriage, that's an abomination, as God actually called it, literally. He called it an abomination, according to the Bible. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to participate. And that should be their right. They should have the right to discriminate and say, no, I don't want to be a part of this. And the court tried to force them to tell them, we're going to lock you up and put you in prison. Get this. Here's, here's what's really rich. For civil rights violations. It was supposedly a civil rights violation for the photographers to say, no, I don't want a part of this. Well, there was another case in another state uh, that started about a year ago. with uh, it, was just, it was similar. Some people wanted to get these cake decorators to make a cake that was for, again, a gay wedding. And they said, no, we don't feel comfortable. That it's, was it. It's against our beliefs. We, we want nothing to do with this. Yes, we're Christian. And so they try and sue. Yeah. Well, it's like, if you can't say no, if you're required to work for gay people, because they're a special privileged class, well, then we're like slaves to the gays. The Christians are their slaves. Yeah. And you want to talk uh, about discrimination here. I mean, now that in itself is such an abomination. I'm not going to work for a gay person. 
especially not because he's gay, because he has some kind of special gay privilege to hold over me. That's not happening. And we shouldn't let it happen. And the fact that our churches have nothing to say on this matter, that they're not up there saying, hell no, we Christians are not going to tolerate this. We're not going to be slaves to the gays. We will not take this abuse. Our people won't be persecuted. Our people will not be persecuted. Mm -hmm. We will not allow ourselves or our faith to be made into a mockery. We will not let marriage be made into a mockery. We will not participate in that. But what do we get? Let's pray for the stockholders. Yeah. Or let's pray for the troops. And this goes back to that whole thing of, you know, the senators who come into, you know, the, the church and listen. Well, what about the people who are making these decisions at a local level and yeah, greater? whether they be legislators or judges or what have you. I guarantee you they all go to churches. They do. And, and is anything said? No. And a decent pastor ought to be, you know, screaming from the yeah. pulpit. And let me tell you what's happening. The pastors are thinking, I can rub elbows with this high-powered guy, so I'm not going to blow it. I've got to keep my money in power. Yeah. I mean, look at the opportunities here. I'm not going to risk getting thrown out of my church because I made a big stink or lose the opportunity for these connections. And it's utterly disgusting. Let's talk about selling your soul. It is. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. Now, if you remember, it was actually the gays who first turned against us at Earth Fair. They were probably the first group that ever targeted us. Yeah. And boy, were they vicious. Um, We published an article um, about AIDS and HIV. And included a long quote from a Nobel Prize winner. That was back in Naturally Good magazine. We had the magazine. Yeah, probably back in 2008 or so. And this long quote discussed how the gay lifestyle... Is unhealthy. Is unhealthy. With the multiple partners and the drug use and and everything else. And that even without AIDS, anything like AIDS or HIV, a gay person will have a constantly declining immune system. Yeah, will have a myriad of health problems. That... One way or another, he will acquire an immune deficiency, one way or another, even if it's not AIDS. I mean, it's just the natural progression of that lifestyle, the the sort of type of drugs they use and the type of partying they do, their whole lifestyle, the the nasty sex acts that they have and so forth. It will result in immune depression. Total immune destruction. I mean, it's a scientific fact, and this guy won the Nobel Prize when it wasn't such a politically incorrect thing to say. Yeah, he actually won the Nobel Prize, so we weren't just pulling out something tangential here. This was mainstream and peer-reviewed and accepted by the establishment. And yet, when they saw that, they went crazy. Mm-hmm. And we weren't cursing the gays. We weren't damning them, demeaning them. We were just saying there is a cause-and-effect relationship here. With or without AIDS, you ultimately end up with the same sort of thing. You could say that we were warning them. We were warning them. We were also warning them about the AIDS drugs. Yeah, we, we had a long And that the AIDS, the AIDS industry is a scam, a deadly, murderous scam. Yeah, talking about how these HIV drugs will, well, were chemotherapy drugs. They were former chemotherapy drugs that were too dangerous to be given to cancer patients because they always died. Yeah. So they gave them to the, to the gay population. They started dying like crazy, and voila... Oh, that AIDS is just terrible. Look what it's doing. No, it wasn't the AIDS. No, it wasn't the AIDS that was wiping out it was the, the treatment population. Mm-hmm. And so we had this long article that was yeah, you know, we explaining ha- this. Yeah, we didn't have like the, I guess what you could call the queer genocide. 
My until gosh, no. AIDS got mainstreamed in the news, the panic hit, and then they started treating them. AZT and so forth. Then yeah. suddenly the genocide happened. Yeah. Or you got diagnosed with AIDS, and suddenly your chances of survival, at least I remember this back in the 80s, was like 10%. And, of course, it didn't happen until you were diagnosed with AIDS. Because mm-hmm. being diagnosed with it means that's when the treatment begins. Yeah. They haven't even proven a relationship between HIV and AIDS yet. Yeah. There, there's been no proof. A lot of us are carrying HIV. HIV, it's, it's a normal little virus that, that runs pretty rampant through the population, just like herpes does. Most of us also have herpes and don't know about it. These viruses that travel throughout the population and in healthy people, relatively healthy people, Uh they never show up. They're benign. There's no symptoms. There's no real impact. Just that when you're tested, it shows up. Mm -hmm. And then it gets really bad when you get the treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, we're getting off way on a tangent about AIDS here, though. I don't think we meant to do that. I do want to state that the gay mentality is something of a pathology. I mean... It's a mental illness. Yeah. It has always been a mental illness. Well, Freud originally pointed out that homosexuality is inseparable from paranoia. That, you know, to the homosexual, it's always him against the world. Against the world, with the exception of other gays. Exactly. And we see that now. I mean, in Freud's time, there weren't many, you know out homosexuals, shall mm-hmm. we say. Now, you know, there are entire organizations and it's like this cult-like group. Yeah. Well, it was Freud, and you got to give credit where credit's due. He got some things right. He was the first to recognize that homosexuality and extreme paranoia are closely linked. If you find a homosexual, you'll find someone who's very paranoid. Yeah. And militant, even, to the point of being militant. And they are. Yeah, you definitely see that now. Homosexuality only really stopped being recognized as a mental illness as a result of their militant actions. They terrorized the American Psychiatric Association, didn't they? Yeah, the first attack by homosexual activists against the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, was in 1970 when it held its convention in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. They started to disrupt the conference, interrupting speakers, shouting down, ridiculing psychiatrists. In 1971, a homosexual activist named Frank Kamini worked with the Gay Liberation Front collective. Let's repeat that one again. That was the Gay Liberation Front. Yeah. Okay, I just want to repeat that. He worked with them to demonstrate against the APA's convention. He fought his way onto the stage, grabbed a microphone, and he said, quote, Psychiatry is the enemy incarnate. Psychiatry has waged a relentless war of extermination against us. You may take this as a declaration of war against you. Unquote. Now, around that same time, the addresses of the psychologists and psychiatrists, as it may have been, was leaked, and these people were terrorized at their homes with letters. So the Gay Liberation Front stole a copy of the addresses, passed them out to all of their friends and these gay organizations, Yeah. and the campaign of terror began where they would show up at their houses or send them stuff or call them. Yeah, there were explicit threats from so-called gay rights groups. Gay rights groups, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what did these threats entail, Sarah? What, what was the point? The point was to remove homosexuality from the DSM, which is, for those of you who don't know, the main diagnostic manual that determines whether something is a mental illness or not. So they wanted 
homosexuality to be declassified as a mental illness and reclassified as a normal, healthy, functional behavior. Yes. And this was going to be determined by votes. It wasn't by even by a reevaluation of current evidence. There was no evidence. science involved. There was no, no new evidence. No new evidence, no research, nothing. It's like, okay, guys, let's take a vote on this. Yeah. Uh, do, do I want to be harassed and threatened at my house by 3,000 gay guys? Yeah. And, um, of course, most shrinks were like, no, I really don't want that. Yeah. Four years after the vote that said it's not a mental illness anymore, in 1977, 10,000 members of the American Psychiatric Association were surveyed at random by the Medical Aspects of Human Sexuality Journal, and they were, their names were held anonymously. So, four years later, 69% said that they believed homosexuality is usually a pathological adaptation as opposed to a normal variation. So homosexuality, but 69% of them said was pathological. Yes. That's bad, right, Sarah? That's bad. Okay. Only 18% disagreed. 13% were uncertain. Did I imagine... Go ahead. I imagine a large part of that 13% were people who were afraid that this was just a trick, that this was the Liberation Front once again, weeding out the troublesome shrinks. Wouldn't you be if you'd received all these different threats from the gays only four years earlier, now you get this anonymous no. survey? Actually, if it were me, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be swayed. Okay? okay. But I believe in having a backbone and ethics and... I mean, let, let's face it, your, your average shrink mm-hmm. is not a good person. Agreed. If we consider this was this decision was made on the basis of a vote, yet when they get anonymity... They still believe, you know, four years later, 70% of them still believe it's pathological. that it's pathological. Mm-hmm. It is a mental illness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does, it fits the very criteria of what a mental illness is. It's something that interferes with your ability to function well with other people and society as a whole. Exactly. And, there, and it does. And there are other indications of, you know, pathology other than them being gay. It's not just that. I mean, the same survey. Like the paranoia. Yeah, Exactly. The same survey, 73% said that homosexuals are generally less happy than heterosexuals. Of course they are. 60% said they're less capable of mature, loving relationships. Now, that's, that's like you're that's defining what a mental illness is at that point. Exactly. You're unhappy, you're unable to properly relate to other people, you're yeah. unable to have loving relationships. That's, that is mental the illness. The very definition of mental illness. I mean, if you were to put down, what, what's the criteria of a mental illness? That would be... That's it. Yeah. Exactly. A total of 70% said that homosexuals' problems have more to do with their own inner conflicts than with stigmatization by society at large. So their disorders, their secondary problems, are resulting from their other mental illness, not because society's just too mean to them. Yeah. They're just being too discriminated against. Yes. And they've known that from the very beginning. There's not one study, piece of work, anything that demonstrates in any way that homosexuality is a normal, beneficial, desirable state of being. Well, nothing can really be normal or healthy if, when practiced by everyone, would lead to the extermination of our species. Yeah, that could be bad. I mean, if you wanted to find something that's not healthy, it's something that if everyone did it... It's like the very definition of unhealthy, isn't it? Exactly. That the human race dies. The entire race. Yeah, I mean, to look at it into perspective... Yeah. Former APA president Dr. Nicholas Cummings said that political correctness and homosexual ideology rule the organization. 
And that's the former president of the APA. The American Psychiatric Association. Yeah. So this is the former president, and of course now the APA officially claims that homosexuality cannot be cured. No, it's, it's incurable because it's a natural, normal behavior pattern. Right. That can be tracked down and connected towards different childhoods. I mean, Towards always... traumatic childhoods, which lead to further dysfunctions in adulthood, which, of course, proves it's perfectly normal and healthy. So there's a lot of intellectual acrobatics to avoid just coming out and being honest on the subject at this point. Yeah. And it's been that way since the 70s. Mm-hmm. When the Christian church is so afraid, just like these shrinks are, that it's unwilling to stand up for its own people, to defend the Christians out there, then we have a real problem. Yeah. And if you think things are bad now, they're going to get a lot worse if this continues. Because we're talking about the very fabric of our society here. More than some people realize, you know, because you've got, yes, you have a Christian society, but a Christian society is the only way that a healthy civilization can exist. Exactly. I mean, you look at around the world, when you look at civilized society, you see the influence of Christianity. Yeah, and you look at communism and you see the absence of Christianity. And what those nations become, what we're actually becoming. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of the whole 1% thing, mm-hmm. which was another topic I thought about bringing up. And maybe I should just bring it up briefly because there's no telling when we'll get to another show, mm-hmm. especially with the whole lawsuit thing coming up. A lot of people resent the wealthy. They consider capitalism a problem as communism sort of infiltrates our society, and they figure that the top 1% must be the worst because they're the richest. I heard one person not long ago who's talking to us say that there was a lot of complaints at a factory because the executives, they had it so good. They had their membership to the country club and their big buffet dinners, their outings, big vacations, nice houses, and it wasn't as good for the workers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not anything immoral. The love of money may be the root of all evil, but just possessing it isn't. Mm-hmm. And if you've earned that, then you should enjoy the fruits of your labor. There's a reason why some people are in management. Because they're the better leaders. It's not because through some weird mystical thing that put them in that position unfairly or that there's some kind of hierarchy in our society that keeps the rich propped up. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's not like that. If someone rises to a position of leadership, then he does deserve more perks. I mean, and that's what is supposed to be the leading force behind, well, motivation in the workforce. That's why capitalism works better, because it's a system of merit. Exactly. It's the better you are at something, or at leading, you know, the position of power you'll, you'll, you'll get into. The more into. money, the more power you get. It's like you're actually producing something for society. You're not the guy on the assembly line turning a screw. You're actually able to do something to make a difference in society. And that's why you're in that position. And that's why you get better treatment. And that is the way it ought to be. If you're one of those people who moan that you're part of the 99%, well, you are where you're supposed to be. 
because you haven't contributed. That instead, you try to bring other people down who have done something with their lives. Yeah, it's not like there's somebody who's not wealthy uh, or who's poor, and he's in that position directly because of somebody who's not poor. That the wealthy conspired to exactly. put him in that position. No, if you do something meaningful with your life and do it in a wise manner, you'll succeed. You may not necessarily become rich. I feel like we've succeeded in what we meant to do. We've accomplished our goals and our agenda. We're very content, and we get by pretty well. We're not rich, though. Far from it, I can promise you. But we're happy with that. We're where we want to be. If getting rich were really important to us, then we'd, we'd have to take a different route. But we didn't. And so we accept where we are, and we're happy with it. But if I wanted wealth and power, I would have tried to get myself in a position of leadership at a company or gone into politics or something else. If you're not happy with where you are, you're in the only position to change it. Only you. And it's not because there's a 1% that's plotting against you. There are evil corporations, multi-global corporations, who make bad decisions. Oh my gosh, yes. Are there ever. Mm-hmm. But... They're not responsible for everything, and nobody is bad just because They're he rich. happens to be it's... in a better situation than you. And so I find it disgusting, this trend that's going on in society, this, the, the whole 99% thing, where a large portion of the population feels that it's entitled, it should share in the wealth, it's just entitled to, without doing anything productive, meaningful, without leading. That is the very basis of communism. This whole the idea that we can just equalize and everybody will be happy. It doesn't work that way. It's everybody ends up poor and powerless. Yeah. And it always starts in, you know, what, what will be communist countries with this whole class warfare and this division. Mm-hmm. But we're now called 99% and the 1%. But have been called different things throughout the ages. But it always starts that way. That's exactly how it happened in Russia. Yeah. Where the Soviets took over. They said, look what the Tsar is doing. He's so rich, he must be keeping us down. Let's just wipe out his whole family and all their friends and all the businesses, and then we can just be happy and rich together. It led to the biggest campaign of mass murder the world has ever known. What happened there makes what happened in Nazi Germany look like nothing. Yeah. Didn't Stalin kill like two million in one year? Yeah. Like That was his record. In one year, he got two million. And that's a big number. If you look at the deaths from communism around the world, it's incredible the toll and it is it's the single most evil force the world has ever known yes it really is they go after the rich the intellectuals and then they go after the christians yeah then it's it's home run it's home free once they accomplish those goals because when they do there's nothing left there's no infrastructure and there's nobody of character to say no they destroy everything all all the principles of hope first when you really think about it that's exactly no, what they do. You know, you've got these businesses where people are working to rise, to better themselves, to to produce. And then you've got the Christians who, on a moral and spiritual level, are trying to give people hope and rise them up to be better. Mm-hmm. And in both areas. And, and what they do is they start off by telling you there's no hope. So the only answer is violence. Yes. Um, and you Americans who are listening who don't think it can happen here, don't assume that. Because... It's coming unless we turn things around. And these angry mobs will destroy us 
and destroy the heritage that we have to give to our children, we may never get back what we have now. Well, one common factor with communism and the whole 99% versus 1% thing, which is the genesis of communism here, mm-hmm. is this ideology of irresponsibility. That you don't need to be responsible for what you do, for where you are in life. That it's up to the nanny state to take care of you, to baby you, and make sure that everything is fair and life is good and wonderful and nobody ever skins a knee. But it doesn't work that way. Because to create that nanny state, you have to create a police state. Mm -hmm. To make sure everybody goes along with the program and everything is so fair and equal. Well, I once heard, this may be paraphrased, but you can't get anything from the government that the government hasn't first taken away from someone else. Stolen from someone. Yes. By force. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, that's why we pay our taxes, because they'll show up with guns if we don't. Yeah. For any of you out there that have been pulled into this whole 99% thing, or as some people call it, the 1% thing, you really need to rethink it. What you're believing in is wrong. And the answer to our problems is for us to take responsibility. All of us. And, of course, to help thy neighbor out. Of course. When applicable. Yeah. We're not speaking out against charity here. Oh, no. (laughs) No, true charity. But true charity is voluntary. Exactly. And it should be. Well, I guess we've probably said enough, Sarah. Yeah, I guess we should wrap it up about now. This is Thomas Coyer signing out. And this is Sarah Coyer. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. Toodaloo.